Thank you. Very happy to be worshiping with you this morning. And I want to thank your session for inviting me to preach this morning and your brothers and sisters at Wiggles, New Jersey. Greeting. Our passage this morning comes from um, Paul's letter to the Second Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. You can find the text on page 3 of the bulletin. And you can also, if you have a Bible, you can also turn to 2 Corinthians. It has been strange, and for many of us, difficult, almost two years now, dealing with a pandemic and various other hardships. It is my hope that we will find encouragement from this text. And now hear the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is God's word. Let us pray for his blessing. <clears throat> our gracious God, we pray that your Holy Spirit gives us understanding of your word, as well as desire, motivation, and delight to do what your word commands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is not your day. Things are going very badly for you. You have no solution. You have no way out. All you can think about is go to your room, shut your door, and throw a comforter over yourself. Hope that tomorrow will be a better day. Have you experienced that? Some kind of wishful thinking, right? But as we see in this text, we don't have to wish or we don't have to look very hard to figure out the main theme of this passage. And you see, already you heard that the word comfort is used 10 times, either as a noun or as a verb. And the words affliction and suffer appears seven times. So just hearing this passage read, you know that Paul teaches us that God comforts us in our afflictions and sufferings. And it is as simple as that. And yet, God doesn't just throw a comforter over you and go away. He, this passage tells us that God himself is our comforter in all of our afflictions and sufferings. 
And we will look at three points in this text. Following a Trinitarian trajectory, you can find a, uh, a brief outline on the bottom of page three. And we will see how these, how the three persons of the one true God comforts us when things get very difficult. Our first point is for, uh, our first point is in verses three to four, and that is God the Father is our comforter. Paul typically begins his letters with praise and blessing to God. Here and elsewhere, he doesn't simply bless a generic God or some supreme, invisible, impersonal being. God, according to Paul and all the New Testament writers, is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the 19th century, liberal theologians promoted a teaching called the Fatherhood of God and the Brotherhood of Man. In brief, they claim that God is the Father of all human beings, and He loves everyone very much. Sort of, sort of anticipates uh, the coming of Veggie Tales and many other things. And this teaching was supposed to unite humanity into one happy family. Just look around. Obviously, that didn't work, because that is not what the Bible teaches. Instead, the Bible tells us that God is first and foremost the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father eternally loves God the Son. And God the Father also loved the world so much that he sent his only Son to this fallen world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Very familiar uh, words from John 3.16. Simply stated, believers, become children of God only through the death and resurrection of Christ and receive by faith alone. And it is only through Christ that we can have a familial relationship with God the Father. And the reality is that we are not by nature children of God. The Bible tells us the honest and solemn truth that we were born children of wrath and destined to hell because we sinned in Adam and we continue to add sin upon sin on a daily basis against the Holy God. The God rich and mercy and abounding in steadfast love did not see our sin, our rebellion, and our wickedness as any kind of hindrance. On the contrary, the holy and righteous God stoops down to save us from our sin, to reconcile us to him and made us his very own children through our faith in Christ. The saving benefits of being sons and daughters of the living God is immense. When we face adversity, we often go straight into troubleshooting mode. We, 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 usually, we, we often consider, how do I get out of this trouble? How do I stop suffering? But do we know with undeniable truth that God is our Father and He has everything under control? Even a child can tell you that God, our Father, has a whole world in His hand. As a result, we can know that He cares for us. Because he's favorable to us 
and merciful towards us as his beloved children, however better, however weak that we are. Think about it, if he can forgive all our sins and give us eternal life, isn't it a small thing that he comes to our aid here and now? But there's more. Our Heavenly Father is also the God of all comfort. The original word for comfort can mean exaltation, encouragement, help, or or consolation. Here, context shows that it is best translated as comfort, as the ESV shows you. Now, what is God's comfort? Well, we can look at it this way. The text says that God is merciful and he comforts us. God's mercy is his tender heart towards us. His pity, he he pities our lowly and helpless status. God's comfort tells us that he comes to us with his divine encouragement and help. And he is with us as to strengthen our hearts and mind in tough times. And notice that Paul tells us that God is a God of all comfort against all or any of our affliction. Think about when we go to a doctor, doesn't he often refer us to an expert? Well, a specialist first, and a specialist often then refers to an expert. And what can be worse when the expert tells us, well, I haven't seen that before, I don't know what to do. But God, being sovereign and powerful, and with his fatherly love for us, he has at his disposal every kind of remedy against every kind of ailment. God, our Father, has every arsenal to destroy any and every enemy of ours. And he treats us gently, wisely, lovingly, and for our good. The great comfort of knowing God as our Father is that we know that He's sovereign, but we know that He's near and dear to His children through Christ. What a comfort to know that God our Father knows perfectly what to do in our sufferings, in our hardships, and He has our best interests and even our future glory in mind. He never fails. He works all things for the good of his beloved children. So Christian, isn't that good news? I know you don't feel God's comfort when you are struggling, when you are in pain, but this goes way beyond, above and beyond your feeling. God's fatherly comfort is a revealed truth. It is as real as God is real. It is a fact that we must say to ourselves again and again, and especially in the time of suffering, we need to affirm and embrace this truth instead of just looking at ourselves and our predicament. We need to know that God is our Father who comforts us by His boundless and powerful grace. So people of God, let not your heart be troubled when your circumstances are terrible. Or even when the whole world crumbles 
around you. Look up and see your Father in heaven. Look to your Word and see how He welcomes you and comforts you with His holy love and with His mighty arm. This brings us to our second point. Uh, verses 5 to 7 tells us that God the Son is also our comforter. Let's be honest, when we are weak, when uh, we are dealing with difficulties, truth is often not enough. Not the truth is not good or not real, but we are so often preoccupied with our feeling and our experience that we crave immediate relief. We want instant reversal of our fortune. We want pain removal faster than the garbage removal from our township. Our need and feelings speak so loudly that we often ignore infallible and comforting truth about God. But in Christ, God comes to us very near and very dear. Paul tells us here that we share Christ's sufferings as well as Christ's comfort, and we share abundantly in it. As an illustration, let's say that a high school student uh, in the church is failing his classes. He is on the verge of dropping out of school. As a result, he's under great pressure from his parents and from his peers. He feels stupid, he feels useless, he feels like an outcast, and he's very depressed about his situation. Now, consider his pastor tells him, trust God, he is your comfort, and he will lead you on his righteous path no matter what happens to you. He is your heavenly father through Christ. Now, while this is true, Kid really doesn't take it to heart. It goes in one, it goes into one ear and goes out the other. Because he so focusing, he so focuses on his situation. But then, imagine a young man in the church comes to him. He put his hand around him and he tells him that he was once upon a time a high school dropout. But thanks be to God, whose power is made perfect. In weakness, he now makes a good and honest living to support his wife and his kids. As a result, it's not surprising that this high school kid runs to this young man and pays attention to him rather than his pastor. Not that his pastor is wrong, but the high school kid identifies with this new friend because he finds comfort in a shared life experience. And he clings to him to find out and to experience how faith in God helped him. So it is, it is great mercy and love for us. The eternal Son of God assumed a human nature, became a man in order to save us. Yes, we know that only as a man could he fulfill all righteousness of God's law. Yes, we know that only as a man could he become our perfect atoning sacrifice by dying on a cross? But between his birth and the cross, have you noticed that there were many other events described about Christ in the gospel? All these are saving events. The four gospels give us a very good look what happened in between his birth and his death and resurrection. That Jesus 
experience suffering for you and for me. And you know also, in a profoundly mysterious and spiritual way, Christ suffered even with us. Think about it. Jesus suffered the same temptation as we do. He was assaulted by evil men as we do. His life circumstances was quite undesirable since he had no place to lay his head. Even his family doubted him and thought he was mad. He was mistreated and falsely, ac falsely accused and, con and condemned by sinners. And before Jesus faced arrest and crucifixion, he prayed to the Father in Gethsemane, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Did God, the Father, spare his own son from all this suffering and even the cross? No, Jesus was not saved from an accursed death. It was better. God the Father saved his son, Jesus, through death and then out of death by raising him from the dead. Jesus was not spared his troubles and death to live a little longer. He was delivered out of sin's grip once and for all. He was saved out of this fallen world and he was raised and clothed with a glorious human nature, never to die again. And this is why Paul says in verse 7, with such confidence that our hope is unshaken, because we share life with the suffering servant and the victorious Lord of all. Faith unites us with Christ in a mysterious and spiritual way, such that what Christ did in his human nature. We participate, we experience, and we have a share in it, as Paul says here. This means that the comfort of Christ is the comfort that whatever happens to us, we are loved by him, we are cared for by him, and we are united to him. Our life pattern mirrors and follows Jesus' own life pattern, which is temporary suffering here and now, followed by forever glory in our new heavenly home. But the comfort of Christ is not only about an assured glorious future, as good as it is. Presently, Jesus gives us grace and mercy to endure hardship, to thrive under pressure, and to be more than conqueror over all afflictions. And this is indeed what the author of Hebrews tells us. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
what the author of Hebrews tells us is that all the earthly suffering that Jesus endured made him suitable and able to help us. His first-hand experience of all afflictions and hardship made him the best dispenser of grace for us, his beloved, because he knows us intimately and he knows exactly what we need to endure and even to triumph. Think about it. If you were diagnosed with a rare and deadly disease, would you want to see a newbie doctor right out of medical school? He has little knowledge and he has no experience of how to treat you. Or would you want to see an experienced doctor who is also an expert in this area in treating you? He calmly tells you that you are in good hands. Yes, a difficult surgery and a grueling recovery is as they are ahead, but you will fully recover because this good doctor has successfully treated all his patients with this disease and he has seen them through all the way to recovery. So, do you trust and find comfort in his word and in his experience so as to entrust your body to this good doctor? You would, right? But look at Jesus. Jesus himself has gone through suffering and hell. And he came out victorious. He's the great physician who recovered from a deadly disease and tasted death himself. He knows how to make us well. His medicine is never too weak that we are only partially healed. And it's never too strong that we suffer grievous side effects. He has perfect bedside manner, full of gentleness, firmness, and truth as our heavenly high, sympathetic high priest. His surgical knife cuts just the right place to remove just the appropriate lump of tumor and nothing else. He is the healer our soul. So yes, Jesus knows your suffering and he is able to treat you as this heavenly king priest who has deep sympathy, compassion, and power to, to heal you. He knows what is best for you. Even if your suffering is the result of your sins, Jesus never turned away from you. He turns to you with all of himself, freely offering himself to you with all the saving benefits to shepherd you through this valley of the shadow of death. So I hope you find comfort that Jesus knows you intimately and gives us grace and mercy in our time of need. He knows you and I better than we know ourselves. And if we may even say this, Jesus has something that God the Father and God the Spirit, they don't have. That is, Jesus shares with us all the frailty of humanity. He suffered not only for us, but with us. He overcame sin and death and was raised to glory 
glorious body that we will be raised to be like him when we return. As a result, we can and surely can endure and conquer our sufferings because Jesus became like us so that we may so that we may become like him. So people of God, when you are suffering, don't think that you are alone. In a mysterious, real, and spiritual manner, Jesus shares and participates in your suffering, in all your affliction. He endured them all, and he successfully triumphed over all, and he was raised to be the Lord of all. Christians, find comfort in Jesus. He knows you. He knows what to do with you. And he is with you always. Now, as if it's not enough that Jesus is bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, God comes even closer and nearer to us. And this brings us to our third point in verses 8 to 10. That is, God the Holy Spirit is our comforter. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth. The title, helper, in the Gospel of John, um, <clears throat> it is the same word that Paul uses here for comfort. And literally, uh, the, 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 the title, helper or comforter, literally means someone called come alongside you, stand beside you, this helper, maybe a defending lawyer, maybe an encouraging friend, or maybe an emotional comfort, standing by your side. The King James Version translates helper as comforter, whereas the NIV as advocate, the ESP as helper, but the basic ideas is all the same. Holy Spirit is our comforter. He brings all the comfort of Christ to us. And that's why Jesus tells his disciple that he will ask the Father to send him to the church. You see here, God the Son himself is a comforter. And after Jesus ascended into his heavenly throne, he and the Father sends the Holy Spirit to the church as the personal and comforting presence to be with us and to be in us. So in your affliction and even calamity, in case you don't hear that God the Father is your comfort because you only hear yourself crying for help, in case you don't embrace God the Son as your comfort because pain in the heart and body shuts everything out. God the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you to give you a divine and infallible comfort and assurance that the world cannot give you. He himself comforts you with the comfort of the whole Trinity. One scholar calls the Holy Spirit God's empowering presence. So when you are so weak and your head bowed so low, 
the Spirit comes in and alongside you to give you comfort, to give you encouragement, to give you consolations, to give you the divine help that only God can give you. He gives you gifts to strengthen you and to enable you to not only survive difficulties, but even to thrive in them. Don't just take it from me. Paul says this in Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And this is a special and spectacular work of the Holy Spirit, even turning our suffering into something that we may and we can rejoice. So we know this, that it is not your own effort, but the Holy Spirit, who alone can work the sweetness of Christ and the comfort of God the Father deep into your soul. He brings the presence of Christ and all his grace into your heart so that you may stand and you may lift up your head. He opens your eyes and ears to so that you may receive his word with joy and with confidence. He gives you assurance that the Father who raised Jesus will not only raise you, but you as his beloved sons and daughters. The Spirit gives you strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Besides working directly in your heart, the Spirit also and often uses means. He works in concrete and tangible ways that we can see, we can experience, we can touch in order to comfort us in time of trial. Now, how does he do that? This, well, this passage gives us one way that he does this. Look around you. You're not looking. Look around you. What do you see? Do you see people sitting quietly in a chair? Or do you see members of Christ worshiping God? Or do you see fellow saints and living stones of the temple of the Holy Spirit? In verse, in verse 4 and 7 here, Paul tells us that the purpose of his own suffering and deliverance was to benefit and to give comfort to suffering Christians in Corinth. What God the Spirit did to Paul, and it was no small thing, because Paul is so certain of God's help that he said three times in verse 10 that he was and he will be delivered, even from near-death experience. All that is for the purpose of comforting other Christians, to bring them the experience of the suffering of Christ and the experience of the power of Christ that works through weakness. In other words, your, your own suffering may well be the instrument of God's Spirit to bring God's comfort to 
others will suffer. And once again, you do not suffer alone. God gives you brothers and sisters of the church to come to you with a word of grace, with a word of encouragement, and with all the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit works in them to comfort you in times of trial. You may be better or bruised now, but when God gives you relief through His Word, His Spirit, through your union with Christ, and through the encouragement and help of the church, you experience a suffering and affliction will benefit countless Christians because you now have a Christ-shaped life and a Christ-shaped heart. The famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon, he suffered from depression at the beginning of his ministry. He struggled with it on and off, and there were times he was crippled by deep despair that he could not even get out of bed. It would become his lifelong battle. One Sunday, he preached on Psalm 22, which opened with, My God, my God, why, have you, why do you forsake me? Spurgeon poured his heart and his own experience into his sermon, trying to come to grip of David's and even Jesus' deep distress and mental anguish. That night, a disheveled man came to Spurgeon, saying to him how much he appreciated the sermon, how much the sermon meant to him, because he was deeply distressed, because it appeared to this man that only Spurgeon understood his broken soul. He thanked Spurgeon and he left. And later on, Spurgeon found out that he, this man, he was suicidal. Five years later, Spurgeon saw this man again at the pew, now in sound mind. He has become a Christian and his depression cured. So you see how sharing of the suffering of Christ comforted Spurgeon and prepared him and empowered him to comfort others. Even in this case, to comfort a man in need, not only of sanity, but in need of salvation. We may not be Spurgeon. We are not Spurgeon. We are ordinary people. God does use weak, imperfect, frail jars of clay to serve Him, to comfort His people, to bring grace and the mercy of Christ to the church and proclaim to and to proclaim this grace and mercy and comfort of Christ to the unbelieving world. So isn't it, isn't it comforting to know that the Spirit ministers to us directly in our heart and also transform our own afflictions into instrument of grace to comfort others? So in closing, let me ask you, are you comfortable no, not slumping in a rocking chair with a beer in your hand. Are you comfort able? Meaning that are you able to know that our triune God is God of all comfort.
He is the Father of all mercy and all comfort. Are you able to receive Christ and all his comfort who lives and through you during your affliction so that Jesus may give you infallible help? And are you able to be comforted by the Holy Spirit in your deepest distress? Through his word in your heart, through his word, through his inspired word, and through his um, church. And finally, are you able to comfort others by coming alongside them and to pray for them and to give them word of comfort and to give them help in the time of their need? But let all of us remember, let us be comfortable and let us be a comfort to those who are hurting in the household of faith, but even more so to the unbelieving world, so that many will see the mercy and comfort of our triune God. Let us pray. Our blessed Trinity, we rejoice in knowing you and your work. How the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comfort us and make us into a comfort to others. May our faith and life be enriched by your word and spirit, such that we are more and more conformed to the life of Christ. To the glory of the Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.